Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Oh, it's so good to be here with you guys this morning. Welcome to Mechanicsville Church of Christ. In case we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Will Pinnell, and I have the honor of serving here on staff at MCC, and we're glad that you're here. Church Online family, we're glad that you're here and joining us also to worship in the house of the Lord. Hey, if this is your first time, we just want to say welcome, um, and we want to ask that you take out your phone and text the word welcome to this phone number that's on the screen going to be on the screen, hopefully, um, but just a chance for us to connect with you, to say thank you for joining us for worship, and uh, and to answer any questions that you may have, and to share with us what your experience has been like here. We always like hearing feedback from, from, our, from our visitors and our guests on, on Sunday morning. If this is not your first time, welcome back. Welcome back. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here with us as we dive in to the book of Colossians and continue this series that we're in this morning. But before we do, I got a couple questions for you. Who in here, and if you're online, please answer these two. You can do a thumbs up or you can say yes uh, to these questions also. How many of you are on Facebook? Almost everyone. Okay. How many of you are on Instagram? There's a few less. Okay. What about Twitter? Still a couple hands. Okay. What about Snapchat? Okay, some different hands. Okay. What about TikTok? Couple hands. Wow, I'm surprised by the number. Okay. Okay, there's some other hands up there. That's awesome. How many have no social media whatsoever and have like an email address? Okay. <laughs> some people are very excited about that fact. If you're joining us from Facebook, I'm sure you have a Facebook online community and um, we're glad that you're here with us too. I don't know about you, but I have a real love-hate relationship with social media. I think there can be incredible good that comes from social media. I know that might be not the popular opinion most of the time, but I think in its right place, it can, it can be very beneficial. There have been a lot of awareness raised for different causes. There have been money raised for different organizations. I think that conversations have happened and connections have been made over social media. I think that it can be a very good thing. But there's always then the negative side of social media also. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's anything I hate more about social media than the challenges. The first challenge I remember years ago was when my sister was actually living in D.C. and the knockout challenge became a thing. I don't know if you remember that or not, but it was this challenge where people would try to, to knock someone out with one hit, but not like a friend. It would be a random person, and it was then recorded and posted online, and there were people seriously injured from that. Then there was, there was the milk jug challenge. I don't know if you remember that, where you were in a grocery store and you took a gallon of milk and you pretended to slip and you threw the gallon up and it hit the floor and went everywhere. I actually had a kid in my youth group when I was a youth minister in Kentucky do that on a youth trip. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I made the, the employee put down the, the mop and I said, no, my, my student's going to clean this up. He made this mess and he's going to clean it up. And then we went up front to pay for the milk. That doesn't happen. Tide Pod Challenge? Who in the world would think that eating a Tide Pod is a good idea? I can't believe it. The latest one that I heard about was a Bean Challenge. Have you guys heard of the Bean Challenge? 
where you take baked beans or refried beans, you take beans from a can and you smear them on like the door of someone's house. What? I just don't understand. I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. And I'm sure that most of you in here are thinking, these youngins, those millennials. Well, first of all, it's not millennials, just Gen Z, right? Okay, we'll get that out of the way. I'm a millennial. We aren't doing that. Okay, we have screaming children. We're not doing that. (laughs) But let me also call every single one of you out who think it's the young kids these days because I've heard your stories. I've heard about you how you took the tractor when you weren't supposed to or how you took your parents' car after curfew when they told you not to. I've heard what you've done. You just didn't have a smartphone and social media to brag about it. You got off scotch free because you couldn't let everyone else know what you did. But it was just as dumb, <laughs> right? Anyone willing to admit that they've been there, done that? Older folks, anyone willing to stick a hand up? There's a couple people. Thank you for being brave and honest. I know who, who didn't. I, I see you out there, okay. Nothing is new. Nothing is new. We can look at the stuff that's happening on social media and we can get irritated, we get frustrated, we can think that's dumb, but it's just different than the dumb stuff that happened 30 years ago. It's not new, it's just different. And I truly believe that if we care about extending the kingdom of God and if we care about spreading the gospel to the next generation, church, we have got to engage in social media. And we've got to do it in a smart way, in a healthy way, in a beneficial way, because that's where they are. They're on social media. That's the language they speak is social media language. And if we want to reach them, we have to be willing to go there. That's one reason that we, we love that we're finally able to do the church online and stream our services. And, and we're trying to think of ways to include our church online community in, in other ways outside of Sunday morning just by streaming a service. And we have people who engage on a regular basis on our church online platforms because we don't want to just throw up a service. We want to be able to engage with people online and be able to engage in social media. We have got to learn how to do this in the right way. I think that the motives the motives of why people do some of these challenges, the motives for why some of you older folks did the things that you did years ago, they're the exact same and they haven't changed. There's something about the way we're built, there's something about the way we're designed, there's something innate in all of us that desire to be part of something bigger. We desire to be part of something bigger than just us. We want to be part of, of, of a following, of an organization, of a group, of something that's, that's bigger than just us. Or we want to start something that's, just, that's bigger than us. Some of you entrepreneurs out there are the ones who, who start these challenges, who, who start the, the tides rolling, and, and we, you start the, the shifts and the, 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 the followings, and you, you start those things, and we either want to be a part of something like that or we want to lead it, and so we will participate, we'll follow, we'll laugh at, we'll encourage, we support, we go along with whatever is happening to get that following, to be part of what's happening, to feel included. And sometimes it's just not the greatest stuff to be a part of. Sometimes it leads down roads that 
we shouldn't be going down. Sometimes it's not for the most beneficial reasons. As we look in the book of Colossians today, what we're going to see is what we're going to see is another group, another family, another piece to be a part of that we have a role to play, but maybe not as big of a role as we would like. Maybe not the kind of role that we would like. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in the book of Colossians, and we've seen how Paul is in prison. He, he hears about the church in Colossae that he's never been to. He didn't start this church. He's, he's not <clears throat> been to this church to see it firsthand, but he, he hears from Epaphras, who most think is one of his disciples, who studied under Paul, who heard about Jesus from Paul, and he's the one that brings this report back to Paul about the church in Colossae. And he tells them that they're struggling. They're hurting with this false teaching, the false doctrine that is sneaking its way into the church. And Paul writes this letter to encourage them and to remind them of the basic truths of who Jesus is. And we're going to pick up this morning in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6. And we're really going to camp out in verse 6 and 7 this morning. In Colossians 2, beginning of verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now, Paul starts off this section here with this, this word, therefore, meaning that he's building on what came right before this. So right before this, remember, he talked about this mystery that's been revealed, and that mystery is Christ in you. So therefore, as he has expounded upon Christ in you, and he's talked about that for a bit, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, he gives us four implications of what that means. Four implications. Because Christ is in you, walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So we're just going to walk through these this morning, and I just want to point out some things that I think Paul was trying to get across to the church in Colossae years ago, and that I think we need to know about God, who God is, and what Paul wants us to know from this also. So because Christ is in you, first of all, he says, walk in him. He said something similar earlier in Colossians chapter 1 as he prays for the church in Colossae. We pray for you to be filled with knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now there is a big difference though between what Paul is talking about in the first section here in chapter 1 and what he comes back to here in chapter 2. In the first chapter he says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing and honoring to him. And in verse verse uh, 6 of chapter 2 he says walk in him. Now, I know that sounds like a subtle difference, but let me explain to you what this difference means. In, in chapter 1, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of honoring him, of pleasing him in what you do. In other, in other words, do what you're supposed to do. Do, do what you're supposed to do. Walk, walk in love because God is love. Walk in peace because God is peace. Walk in patience because God is patience. Walk in, in, in what you do in life in a way that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. But anybody who's had, who's had kids realizes that sometimes kids do 
only what you're making them do because you're making them do it. They go clean up because you're, they're going to do it fighting and screaming and, and pitching a fit. But they're going to do it because you've told them to. And Paul says, no, no, don't just, don't just do what you're supposed to do. Walk in him. And this gets down to our motivation. This gets down to the core of why we're doing what we're doing. I'm glad you guys are in church this morning. Church Online, I'm excited that you're taking the time to join us for worship this morning. But you can sit here and tune out just as easily as you can sit online and tune out. You can sit at home and tune out. You can be here and not be here, right? But if you're here in the Lord, if you're worshiping him this morning, then you're here. You're present. You're in the Lord if you're doing not just what he wants you to do, but with the motivation that he wants you to do it with. Does that make sense? So because we see that the Lord is love, because we see his example of how he served others, how he loved others, then we're in him when our motivation is serving him, is worshiping him, not just doing what he's asked us to do. In Jesus' ministry towards the end, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he talks about uh, separating God in the end of time, separating the sheep from the goats. And the determining factor from what we read is going to be whether or not we, we clothe the naked, we feed the hungry, we visit the sick and in prison, and, and it's whether we do the things that we're supposed to do. But then there's going to be many, Jesus says later, who come to me on the, in the final days and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all these fancy things in your name and, 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 and do all the right things? And Jesus will say, away from me, I, I never knew you. There's a difference between just doing the right things and walking in him. And we have to be careful as a church that we're not just doing the right things for the sake of doing the right things, but that we are in Christ, that we are in him, that we have a relationship with him, that we have to be in Jesus. So Paul says, because Christ is in you, first walk in him, second, be firmly rooted and being built up in him. Your translation might say something different if you have the Bible open in front of you, but I chose this translation very specifically because I believe it reflects what Paul is trying to get at, and I believe it reflects best what the Greek is saying when, when we dig into it a little deeper. And I'm not going to bore you with all the details there, but I'll be glad to have a conversation afterward if you'd like to, to geek out over some Greek. Love it. Paul has this, this, this di two different thoughts here that, that are, that, what he wants to point out of being rooted in and being built up in. And the first part of that is being rooted in, that this was an action completed in the past. It was, it was defined, it had it happened, it's completed, rooted, not still being routine, routine, I don't know what that is, but rooted in the past, completed, that when we gave our lives to Christ, we are rooted in him and we are being built up in him. We are being built up in him. That there is a continuing process of being built up in Christ. That, that when we were rooted, we didn't just know everything we were supposed to know. We weren't the people that we were supposed to be. That there is still growing. There is still, still developing. There are still things that we are supposed to be doing as Christians that, that we grow in our faith. It's an ongoing process. Uh, I think it's Ephesians chapter 3. 
17, Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. In love. That you may be that you being rooted and grounding in love. The other word that we can't miss here, both in Ephesians and in Colossians, is that word being. Being indicates passive, not active tense, but passive tense, meaning that we're not the ones doing the action. That we have been rooted in, being built up in him, in Christ. That this is not something that we do. When we give our lives to Christ, we don't plant ourselves in, in the ground. We don't root ourselves in him. It's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I believe that's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 also. That we are rooted and grounded in love. It's not our love. But what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because of the love of Christ on the cross, we have been rooted in him and we are being built up in him. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 32 says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul says it elsewhere that he planted, Apollos watered, but who caused the growth? God caused the growth. It is not that we can can grow ourselves just by reading the word, by by being in his house, by doing what we're supposed to be doing, but the spirit of God at work within us causes the growth that we become, start to become to look more like Jesus. That we are being rooted in him, by him. That we are being built up in him, by him, by his spirit in us. And it's not something that we're doing, but it's what's happened to us by the love and grace of Jesus on the cross. A couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, we had a a four-chair discipling series, and we talked about discipleship, right? And if you remember, we talked about the third chair, and that third chair is hard. That third chair comes with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, and it, it hurts a lot. And it hurts because we choose to willingly sit there as Christ works in our life, as he chips away at everything that's not reflective of him, as we willingly choose to stay in the seat and God say, God, I know that I'm not the person you want me to be because I don't look enough like your son yet. So do the work in my life necessary to make me look more like your son. And, and our responsibility starts and ends with us being willing and open to God's work in our lives. And it's painful. It's going to hurt. But he is going to do the work in us to make us look more like him. We just have to be willing to, to sit through the process. We have to be willing to accept it. We have to be willing to say, God, I see what you're doing in my life. I see I have some growing to grow, to, to do. Okay. Let's do this. And he causes growth in our life. So because Christ is in you, walk in him, being rooted, being built up in him, and established in the faith. Established in the faith just as you were instructed. Be established in the faith. Your translation might also put the word your in here. 
But I chose this translation because your is not really indicative of what Paul is trying to get across. From my understanding and studying of the text, your isn't even there in the Greek. It's implied by the second piece of that that says just as you were instructed. And so some translations will put your in the first part to describe the faith. But, but here's what we see elsewhere in scripture about faith. It's not your faith. You don't get to have your own faith and you don't get to have your own faith and you can't have yours and you have your own unique faith over here and you have your own. We don't all get our unique own personalized faith. We belong to the faith of Christ. What is, I think it's Ephesians say, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, right? There is one faith that we all belong to. One faith. It's a beautiful thing about Scripture, about Christianity, about the faith that we belong to, that you can go anywhere in the world, and the faith is the same. It might look a little different. It might, it might appear a little different. There might be some different applications to, to living out your faith in different cultures and different contexts, but it is the same faith that we all belong to. I don't know if you realize how different some other cultures are, but I remember my missions class years ago. We watched a video of, uh, of I think it was a, a business deal, but someone who was very unfamiliar with other cultural practices. And it had never dawned on me before really how different things can be. But the first thing that we pointed out that this guy did wrong when he came in the room is he extended his right hand to shake the hands with the other person. But there are some cultures that you could not be more insulting than if you did that. To extend your right hand to greet someone else. What else do you do with your right hand? We all do it when we go to the bathroom. Is that TMI? Is that too much information? (laughs) Some of you are getting it now, okay. There are some places that because of what else we do with our right hand, it is extremely disrespectful to extend your right hand to, to shake hands. So everyone, they always use their left hand. We're still shaking hands. We're still giving respect and, and greeting other people warmly. The core of what we're doing hasn't changed, but it looks different. Our faith doesn't change. This book has stayed the same for 2,000 years since it's been compiled. The faith that God gave Abraham is the same faith that we belong to today. It might look a little different. Faith with social media attached to it might look a little different today. But we're not changing the Word of God. We're not changing faith. We are to be established in the faith. Paul says, um, established in the faith just as you were instructed. Now this piece of it, this piece of it I think is a little different today for us. This piece is a little different because when Paul wrote this, he was reminding the church in Colossae about who taught them about faith. And back in the the early first century after the death and resurrection of Jesus, most of the people planting churches, most of the people preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel were the apostles or a direct disciple of the apostles. They were firsthand eyewitness accounts to what Jesus did. And so most likely this church in Colossae was planted by Epaphras, who who Paul hears about it from, or someone who was really closely associated with an apostle. 
And he reminds them, just as you were instructed, just as you heard about the faith, the word of God, that, that Jesus is, was, was here, all that Jesus did, be established in that faith. Now, most of us here came to know Christ by our parents, maybe grandparents, an aunt or uncle, someone who took the time to sit down and share with us how great God is and how he has a wonderful plan for our life and how much he loves us and cherishes us greatly and all that is true. But when Paul says remember or to be established in the faith as you were instructed, he's he's talking about the apostles, the early church, the eyewitnesses accounts and and we don't we don't have that. We don't have that outside of this book. This book is the eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of the, Jesus. This book are these letters to the church in Colossae and the church in Ephesus and, and the church in, in other places. This, this book is, is what has instructed us in the faith. Other people, we acknowledge sometimes with, with our head that other people are, are not perfect, that they make mistakes. I've said it up here multiple times that I'm, I'm going to get things wrong from time to time. You don't need to just believe what I say based on what I say because it could be wrong. This book, though, is the inerrant Word of God. And it didn't get it wrong. The breath of God is not wrong. I love your parents deeply or whoever brought you to Christ. They might not have had it 100% correct. And I mean that with no disrespect whatsoever. But sometimes we let what our parents said, what our pastor said, what other people said about God influence our faith, sometimes more than even what this book says. And we need to make sure that we are being established in the faith, not, not based on what other people say, but on what the Word of God says, and what the breath of God says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 and 21 says, but that, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is not in me, in any word that I have to say. It's not in the, the pastor with the large church and the large following that you follow also. It's not in your parents. It's not in anyone else in this world. It's in the word of God. And this is the faith that we are to be established in from the Word of God itself. From the Spirit of God working in and through people that we are to be established in the faith through what we've heard. Finally, because Christ is in you, walk in the Lord, be rooted, be built up, be established in the faith. And finally, he says, overflowing with gratitude overflowing with gratitude. I've talked to a lot of people over the years about faith, about Christianity, and I don't think anybody has told me, I don't think anybody has told me that Christians are known for their gratitude, for their thankfulness, for the joy that they have in their life. I cooked dinner last night. It doesn't make me a chef. 
I went whitewater rafting this summer. It doesn't make me a rafter. I do, I do things on, on once. I, I can juggle for like two and a half seconds. It doesn't make me a juggler. We do things occasionally. It doesn't mean that we are those things or masters at those things. And just because that maybe we have a time of being thankful around Thanksgiving, maybe we have a spirit of gratitude just when we come to worship once a week, just because we had a joyful moment the other day when this thing happened does not mean we're people of gratitude and people of thanksgiving and people of joy. Church, there should be no one else in this world more grateful and thankful and joyful than Christians. Because we understand what's happened, what Christ did on the cross for us. There should be nothing else that gets in our way of being so grateful. Why do you think Paul talks so often about rejoicing in suffering, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He wasn't happy about the pain he was feeling, but what led to this moment that he got to preach the word, that he got to share the gospel with other people. He was excited about what his suffering would lead to that would validate the cross, that would say, I believe so much in this that I will endure anything because of what my Savior did on the cross for me, and it brought such a, such, such a, such a sense of joy and gratitude. Church, where is our sense of gratitude? Where is our sense of thanksgiving? Why are we not known of, of, as people who are grateful? It should, it should come before anything else that happens to us in this world. Because nothing can compare to the greatness of what Jesus did on that cross for us. These are the things that Paul says are implications of Christ in us. This mystery that's been revealed. That we should walk in him, being rooted, being built up. Established in the faith. I almost forgot that one. Established in the faith. And full of thanksgiving, full of gratitude. Paul concludes this section here in verses 13 and 15. And he says, And you who were dead in your sins, because your sin nature was not yet cut away, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Church, for Paul, it always came back to the cross. It always came back to the cross and what he did for us on the cross. I think we have this tendency in our faith, in our relationship with God. I think we have this tendency with this idea of discipleship today to think, what do I need to do to grow in my faith? What do I need to do to be a better disciple? What do I need to do? And we make it about us. It's never been about us. It's never been about our following it's never about building something that other people want to follow. It's never about constructing anything that, that draws a crowd. 
It's about pointing everyone to Jesus and being part of his church, being part of his body. Because of what he did on the cross for us, that the the supremacy of Jesus, who is God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, came to earth to take care of our sins for us, to be in a relationship with us, to want to enter into a relationship with us. And if that doesn't make you smile, then you haven't experienced it. You haven't really experienced it. It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross which allowed Christ to live in us. That allowed us to walk in him, that that rooted us in him, that builds us up in him, that established the faith of Christ. It's all about the cross. So this morning, I just want to remind you that you don't have to strive That our striving is being willing to sit in this third chair. Our striving is being able and willing to say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, come do it. I will endure anything to become more like you. And we just have to be willing to take it, be willing to accept the work that he's doing in our lives, because it's not about us. It's about him and the cross of Jesus. Father God, thank you so much for the ability not to strive, for the reality that we don't have to to try to be more, that it's not based on us, that salvation is not based in what we do, but that we get we get to be in relationship with you because of the cross. God, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross that took away our sins. Thank you for the new life that we have in you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.